Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Before we get started, support for this podcast comes from Boost with Facebook, whose podcast, Boost My Business with David Fisher, features unique perspectives and insight from business leaders and small business owners. Hear stories and anecdotes about businesses just like yours. Gain insight on what it takes to grow a business and learn from both the mistakes and triumphs of others. Download Boost My Business wherever you get your podcasts. That's Boost My Business Podcast. Before we get started, support for this podcast comes from Boost with Facebook, whose podcast, Boost My Business with David Fisher, features unique perspectives and insight from business leaders and small business owners. Hear stories and anecdotes about businesses just like yours. Gain insight on what it takes to grow a business and learn from both the mistakes and triumphs of others. Download Boost My Business wherever you get your podcasts. That's Boost My Business Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Chalk Talk. I'm Taylor Davis. My co-host McKenna Kelly and I here to talk all things gymnastics for you. As always, going to talk about some different storylines that have happened in the elite world, recap a little bit of some college action, and then we have a very special guest joining us at the end of the episode. We are so excited. Miss Val Condos Field is going to be joining us, talk all about her legendary career, her time at UCLA, life after, and just hear all about what she's been up to. So you want to stay tuned for that. But McKenna and I wanted to start out and just reiterate something that we feel like we've said a lot. Um, We really want this to be an interactive podcast. McKenna, you can obviously echo this, but for me, I just would encourage everybody, if if you're listening and and you've become an avid follower of this show and you have some different talking points or articles or people that you want us to interview, like, please reach out to us, send us DMs or, or whatever you need so that this can be a show that you guys feel like you have a hand in. Yeah, we want to improve. We want to get better. This is, I mean, this is my first time doing podcast-related things. And Taylor, I think this is like her third podcast. Like she, she's done this before, but we've never got to sit down and talk all things gymnastics. And um, we want to hear from you guys. We want to know what kind of content you want us to talk about. If there is, you know, um, a skill you want us to break down or a team you want us to look at, like, please tell us. We want to promote positivity in the gymnastics community. And um, I think this podcast is a great outlet for that. But um, we we really, really encourage you guys to hop in our DMs, talk to us, say, hey, like talk more about this. Or could you explain this to me? We would love to hear you guys. Well, one of our storylines actually originated from the good old Twitter. Um, so there's been some banter on social media that Simone Biles and Sunisa Lee have some kind of bet or uh, just interesting back and forth about who can have the most upgrades by Tokyo. Yeah. Um, This is hysterical to me because it's like once you've attained a certain level of greatness, you just have to find other ways to like have fun with your sport. So funny. Um, Yeah. I, so I saw on Twitter, um, I don't, I don't remember exactly. Oh, it was Simone's vault. So if you guys don't know, Simone threw a Yurtenko double pike into open foam, like Absolutely insane, but Simone, we wouldn't expect anything less. Um, right. And then it, it, some people have noticed now whether this is actually a real deal, like they've made a bet to see who can get the most upgrades before Tokyo, whether that's real or not. It seems to be a pattern that when Simone posts something like a new upgrade, Sunisa will post a new upgrade, and then back and forth and back and forth. So um, 
uh, Sinisa posted some new crazy bar combination. I don't even remember what it was, um, but it was absolutely insane. Of course, the technique was flawless, classic SUNY. Um, and then Simone comes back with this double pike off vault, which I can't even believe I'm saying. Um, so it's just been funny because the the gym internet's kind of blowing up about whether or not this is a done deal, like this is a confirmed bet. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, Taylor, at some point it's like, might as well have fun and see what all, all I can chuck and put together. I mean, they they must be bored. If you're that good, it must be boring. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Truly. And I mean, Simone's vault has caught attention because everything that she does catches attention. Right, right. Uh, and I just think that she... She's a unique figure because even if you know nothing about gymnastics, yeah. you know her. Absolutely. And so I think she she kind of bridges the gap between like the diehard gymnastics fan and just like the sports fan who like appreciates good athletes. Yes. That's kind of where yes. Simone represents both. Um, so people notice every time this girl sneezes. So yeah. she posted the video of the vault and a lot of people put out these articles and responses that, oh no, this is too dangerous for the Olympics. And like gymnasts need not try to keep up with Simone because she's doing things that are ridiculous. Um, pause. This girl, I want to know who's trying to keep up with Simone. Who's actually trying? No one one is. Literally, (laughs) literally no one. Everyone knows to stay in their lane. But like, this girl is just having fun. She's going into open foam. Her caption was 2020 with like the eye emoji. So of course, everyone's like, is she hinting at Tokyo? Right. I mean, I think not. Me thinks not. But... (laughs) She's having some fun and she's posting different skills and everyone doesn't need to jump all over her that she's trying to injure people because they're going to attempt to be like her. That's ridiculous. I just, I feel like no one can take a joke anymore. It's like she's, I mean, even if she could, like that's part of being an athlete is you know your body, you know what you can and can't do. And like, it's Simone. Not saying that she she's not human. I mean, there's actually a good argument there. She might not be, but she is a freak of nature. And <laughs> I think she wouldn't I think she part of her likes stirring up the crowd. And if I were Simone, if I were that talented, shoot, I would too. I would I would like to throw yeah. throw in a little curveball and see like, hey, what are they gonna think about this? Because only she knows what she's gonna be doing. And I don't know. I just she's I don't think she's gonna perform something that she can't. But then again, what can't she perform? So <laughs> Uh, truly. Has she found anything that she can't do? Probably not. When you watch her do crazy stuff like that, or I recently saw a, a pass that she did where she literally like skipped into it. Like she didn't oh, yeah. even get much of a running oh, start. Yeah. yeah. What what aspect of her technique gives her the power uh, to get such velocity and, and height in her passes? Because it doesn't seem like her run is that powerful. No, so right. where in her technique is she getting that power? Um, I just want to put this out there that I think God worked a little bit harder on her. And I think it's unfair to the rest <laughs> of us because <laughs> I'm just kidding. But no, Fair. you know, what's funny is I've tried to go back and like slow down her tumbling and see like, you know, where is it in her gymnastics that, you know, makes all the difference. And so, you know, there's so many different parts of that entry into tumbling into that round of back handspring, that, which is what you would consider the entry. Um, the way she turns over her round off. So to my gymnast friends listening, you guys should know what I'm talking about. That back leg going into your round off is, I emphasize this so much if I'm ever doing a camp or a clinic or, you know, just doing a private lesson. If, if you don't turn over that back leg, 
your round off will not turn over. Your knees are going to buckle going into your back handspring and you won't be stood up straight, be able to set arms up. You'll be throwing your head back and you're just going to go straight back. Simone, the way she turns over that entry it's like lightning speed. I, I can't even I can't even mm. fathom how she does it. And if you also notice, and I don't know how she does this, um, because I bend my arms on absolutely everything, and and part of me kind of thought that like that's a natural thing, but her block in her shoulders is so impressive. If you watch her round of back handspring going into any of her tumbling, she does not bend her arms. Does not bend her arms at all. I think her yeah. shoulders are so strong. I mean, it makes sense why the kid can vault too. Um, why she gets so much height because she blocks off the table and does not use her elbows. Um, it, it is just – it's literally the most technically sound entry on floor that I have ever seen in my life and that's why she's able to do anything out of it. It, it is – I mean, she's a freak and can literally twist and flip and do all that but her round effect handspring is so freaking good that it sets her up yeah. to be able to do absolutely anything. That's that's interesting. I appreciate that breakdown because I actually have <laughs> looked at it myself and I'm like, where is this power coming right. from? Well, another story that is surrounding USA Gymnastics right now that we want to talk about is the suspension of Maggie Haney. Um, she is the coach of Olympic and world champions, probably most prevalent right now, the coach of Riley McCusker, who is expected to compete in Tokyo. Um, She has been suspended, and as of yesterday, a second hearing, that suspension has been upheld. She has been alleged to have been acting in a way that portrayed verbal and emotional abuse. Laurie Hernandez and at least half a dozen families have filed complaints against her. Uh, She is alleged to have screamed, sworn at, threatened, bullied, and harassed gymnasts on a regular basis. Also alleged to have told injured gymnasts to remove boot casts and continue training and competing. Now that she is suspended, she is prohibited from being at any event or location where minor aged gymnasts are present. So that's that's the interesting aspect of it because yeah. Riley McCusker is 18, yeah. but anything that she attends most likely has underage gymnasts there. So Maggie Haney cannot be in attendance. And that is going to be the case very quickly as a national training camp is scheduled for February 29th. So um, what was your thought when you saw this news come across? Had, had you heard anything of the sort surrounding Maggie Haney? I'd like to say I'm not surprised. Um, you know, I, I had the incredible opportunity to attend national team training camps my senior year when I was trying to go elite. Um, so every month I got to be with those girls. I got to be with Lori. I got to be with Jasmine Foberg, who's now at Florida. Um, I got to be with the MG Elite Gymnast and, and many other of very notable um, personnel. So, I mean, I was in that environment. I've I mean, I've heard stories. I've definitely heard stories. Um, I think yeah. I think every, especially before the the Larry Nasser case, I obviously everything was swept under the rug, and um, emotional and probably physical abuse amongst coaches was probably not talked about as sure. well. Um, unfortunately, I think for the longest time that was just the culture of the sport, and it's like almost you almost had to like accept that and when you got to the elite level it's like oh this is just part of it I, I I feel like because no one said anything and everyone just expected that I mean now now that people are stepping up and and sharing their voice and, and 
having the strength and the confidence to do that and the courage. I mean, we are rewriting gymnastics and right now it's in a really, really low point and it's hard to get a positive view on things again. Um, but the, the sport deserves it because we shouldn't, it sucks that we have people who abuse the sport, they abuse their power over an athlete the way they do. Um, but back to the whole Maggie thing. Um, yeah. Part of me says I'm not surprised, but then Part of me, I mean, seeing seeing the athletes competing with Maggie on the floor, they look like their chemistry is very good. They look like Maggie, uh, they respected Maggie, and the, Riley seemed a bit happy. I don't know. It, it's tricky, but, you know, it's it's also easy to put on a face and, and perform. And as a gymnast, your yeah. job is to literally perform. So, um, you know, I, I – I'm very sad for Riley. I'm very sad for all of the MG Elite girls and any gymnast out there who's experienced this. I'm very sad for you guys as well, too, because it's not fair that you were robbed of a sport you loved. Well, uh, okay, so talk to me a little bit about – I feel like that's a very fine line in coaches for gymnastics because, like, when I've talked to previous gymnasts, uh, even, like, Kathy Johnson-Clark would tell me about, you know, her days and there was – so much discipline and structure yeah. associated with gymnastics and uh, coaching was tough. It, it wasn't warm and fuzzy. No. It wasn't like, you know, the Jenny Rollins of the world who will wrap you in their arms as soon as you come off the floor. Like it was a lot more regimented and strict and um, t- tough love, I guess, yeah. if you can even put love in there. And, and so now we've, we've kind of gotten into this day and age where, um, you know, there is more su- support and warmth. And I think coaches kind of find their knack for the best way to connect with their athletes. And some of them are more disciplined and some are more loving. But in the elite world, how important is it to kind of find that balance where, you know, the structure isn't isn't going anywhere, but we're not in this circumstance where girls feel like they're being abused? Right. I think I think that's a coach's job is to push their athlete and, and challenge them because a coach's job is to see a kid's potential and bring out the best in them and to develop that athlete to accomplish, I mean, what the coach and the athlete have decided that goal is. Um it is not okay to emotionally and mentally and physically even demean a kid or an athlete um, because right. of maybe maybe a mistake. I mean, you learn from your mistakes. And that's where it's frustrating is like these c- coaches forget kids are human. Um, and I think what makes a good coach is is being able to coach different athletes. Not every athlete. I mean, you could yell at me as an athlete and that would that would make me mad and I would be I would improve, I'd get better, I would like I'd show you. Like that's the kind of athlete I was, but not everyone's like that. Some girls crumble, some girls cry right. and, and they kind of shut down. So you I think what makes a really good coach is knowing your athlete and knowing the best method to bring out the best in each athlete. That's that's very true. I think you kind of have to adapt based on uh, who you're coaching and not just have like a one size fits all method uh, to your craft. So I think that's a great point. Obviously, this had to have been way past structure and discipline for these girls to literally file complaints. Clearly, this was something that was too much, too far and needed to be handled appropriately. All right, let's touch real quickly on just a couple NCAA things that have been happening. I was looking at the rankings earlier today, and uh, obviously the expected Oklahoma and Florida are just continuing to kind of trailblaze their way 
through this season, but Denver and Utah are are really trying to make a statement this season, and Denver is coming out hotter than they have in seasons past. They've ended up at nationals, but I think that they've they've really put something together. And then also there are very few SEC teams in the top 10 right now, which we've talked about how NCAA gymnastics has the potential to become repetitive each year and programs needed to be stepping it up to kind of eliminate the monotony. And I I think we're seeing that this season. I agree. I agree. I mean, if you saw the big upset between LSU and Alabama, that one hurt a little bit, not going to lie. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, SEC – they should be up there. And, I mean, besides Florida, um, I think the rest of the SEC needs to step up their game. Come on, guys. I'm pulling yeah. for my conference. But um, <laughs> it, it, it is cool to see other other teams step in. And, of course, we've talked about this before. That's what makes it exciting. You want that nail-biter meet. You, wanna, right. you want it to come down to that last routine. You want it to be tenths away from a win. That That's what makes it exciting. And you want nationals to end up being – oh my gosh, like this is anyone's day. Yes, and yes. Like this could be anyone's instead of getting to nationals and being like, oh, it's between these two, you yeah. know? Oh, totally, totally. Or you get there and you're like, okay, let's see who gets second, third, and fourth. Like that's, like it's boring. It gets boring. Right. So yeah, the, right. uh, the upsets, you got to live for them. You have to. Agreed. Agreed. And we saw one, like you mentioned, Alabama beat LSU. This wasn't necessarily an upset, but Georgia and Auburn had a very close meet. Uh, It was actually tied going in to the last rotation, but Georgia uh, had a great beam rotation and beat Auburn 197-425. That's a great score for them. And I think Georgia is kind of getting their – finding their rhythm a little bit, kind of finding what works for them, the different lineup combinations, and and girls are kind of settling in, a lot of younger girls that are contributing or people that have never competed on certain events before are now kind of getting more comfortable. I'm, I'm excited to see what more Georgia does. Arkansas actually got their first SEC win since 2018 against Missouri. And we talked about Arkansas a lot last week. If you guys missed that episode, uh, go back and listen to that because we talked a little bit more in depth just about the dynamic with Jordan Weaver coming in and and the time and, and the girls kind of needing to take ownership of this program. And I think that they could really – propel themselves off this getting a conference win and and kind of feeling like okay we can all settle down a little bit take the momentum off this win and just kind of slowly progress Rome wasn't built in a day like we said but don't let it stop here you got to carry on what worked from this meet into the next absolutely and that's the most important thing you can do with with any team that's kind of building their way maybe they didn't start strong once you turn that corner and you get that momentum and you feel that first win, it is so important ha- that you keep going down that path. Um, that's kind of where the pressure is. You know, if you lose a couple meets in a row, you're like, okay, well, like the, the pressure is to win, obviously. But after a win, it's like, okay, the pressure is to keep winning. So it is so important that they keep yeah. on that path. Um, I think I think they I, – I would imagine that they kind of feel like, okay, we've been trusting the process and now the results are coming in. And, of course, that's going to give them confidence. And back in the gym, they're going to be more fired up. They enjoyed that feeling of a win, especially an SEC win. So I, I'm hoping for big things. And they're actually ranked fifth on floor. That's insane. That is that's insane. Great. That is just – that's really, really cool. Um, I think – I'm not sure whether yeah. they're ranked it's in the other events. I don't think it's very high. But to be – fifth that's you're up there you are with you are with top teams and that's just that's really exciting right 
And then we want to give a shout out to UCLA's Gracie Kramer, who finally got a 10 on floor. And I mean, you would have thought they won nationals. They they were so flipping excited for her. But that's, and we'll talk to Miss Val about it. That's something that UCLA always has been able they celebrate the small victories you know what I mean like they get excited for each other they get excited for routines they get excited when the crowd's involved like this is a program that's like built around finding the joy in the little stuff absolutely I think Miss Val has a lot to do with that I got the pleasure of um actually kind of meeting Gracie at the national championships last year. Again, because UCLA is not in the SEC conference, we don't see them very often unless it's a championship meet like this. Um, And so when we were all waiting for the awards for a floor in the back, um, we were sitting on the ground. I was talking to Caitlin and Gracie was there too. And um, I'd never met her before. And she is just, she's a ray of sunshine. She's so spunky. She's a great time. She's absolutely adorable. Um, so it was really cool to get to know her. Um, I've always watched her gymnastics and she's so expressive on floor. Like I, you you are so captivated watching her. If I can think of like three routines right now that are just – I you can't not watch a well four, I guess the entire OU team, they can perform. Just their artistry is absolutely amazing. Um, Gracie Kramer is so fun to watch. Um, And then Ruby Harold, if you guys have not watched Ruby's floor routine, oh, she is, she kills it. Oh, and Sabrina Vega, Sabrina Vega too. I think that UCLA's floor routines, we've always said that each one is like a mini movie. Yes. It's a performance. And I'm glad that they have continued that because I think that's, it's like the staple of UCLA that that is how their, their floor routines are. They are like mini, mini movies and they take you through an entire story. And I just also think that's so appropriate because they're in LA, you know, like people associate it with, with Hollywood and movie. And so I think that's really cool that that's something that they integrate into their floor. Yeah. It's always so fun to watch. Real quickly, before we uh, bring in Miss Val, at this point of the season, o- over the entirety of NCAA gymnastics, the kind of the landscape as a whole, I just kind of want to get your perspective on each event right now. Sure. If if there have been um, any specific people or specific skills that you're you're glad you're seeing in college gymnastics right now, yeah. or if if there's something that you think generally needs to be tightened up, sure. let's go through each one and kind of just get a quick uh, an analysis on those. Cool. So what what has uh, kind of caught your eye or what do you want to see more of uh, when it comes to vault? Vault. Um, different vaults. Different vaults. Actually, BYU, shout out to you, BYU, their entire vault lineup or at least at one meet, the one meet I saw, the recap on Twitter that I saw, each girl did a different vault. And that is no so way. stinking cool. Yes. Yes. Even if it wasn't your wow. tempo entry, they were doing something off the end of the table different, whether if it was, you know, a layout half or a tucked half or a tucked one and a half or a, a laid out one and a half. Like everything was different. They had a souk, I believe. They had a front handspring. Like shout out to you guys. There is not enough that's Unique awesome. Vaults. There's not enough different entries, um, and I would love, love to see that more. Okay, I like that. What about bars? Bars. Um, I think I think there's a lot of different diversity on bars. I think a lot of girls do different things. Um, I would like to see. Well, I mean, if you want to score good, we all any college gymnast know this. But if you're if you're listening and you're kind of just getting into college gym or you're a parent of a gymnast and it's not you know this is your first time in this gymnastics world. 
handstands on bars are so important. Any, anytime you are not yeah. in that handstand range, that's a 10th. That's a 10th. So you immediately go from a 10 to a 9-9. Nine, nine. So if you watch a stellar routine and she sticks everything and it's clean and it's tight, but she gets a 9-9, nine, nine, go back and see what her handstands, where they were. If they were all the way on top of the bar, if they were completely in handstand, then, I mean, that there could have been something else, obviously, that was technically wrong. But yeah. those handstands are so important. Um, I don't know. I think, I think college gymnastics is a pretty good job of keeping the difficulty in bars. I mean, honestly, you have to, um, when, I agree. once you reach level 10, you have to have two release moves. I believe those are the rules. I know you have to have a high to low, which is you're on the high bar and you'll have a release element. You let go of the high bar and you have to catch the low bar. That would be considered a high to low. Um, and then I, you do have to have an E release move, I believe, um, a high bar release move. So you let go of the high bar and you recatch the high bar. So um, I'm not exa- – because I didn't do bars, I'm not 100% sure on what the college rules are for that. But I do think overall we we do a good job of keeping clean difficulty in college. I, I think so too. And I think that bars, uh, you can really see error, especially on television. Mm-hmm. And we have all the tools mm-hmm. for it, the protractor. The and even slow-mo, you yes. can see where there's leg separation yes. and things like that. So I think bars is is one that is really keyed in on for attention to detail. And I, I appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Uh, what about beam? I mean, we've talked in a couple episodes past, I've been so impressed yeah, by I have Beam too. across the country. It just seems like <clears throat> several teams have kind of figured out the formula to overcome that apparatus when usually it's the one that that kind of bites everybody in the butt this early. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I think we're doing a phenomenal job on Beam. I think difficulty is improving. Combinations are improving. I think for a long time there, we were kind of cheating the system and just doing easy, basic connections. But then again, at the end of the day, if you are hitting that start value requirement of a 10-0, you have all of the combinations that you need and it's clean. I mean, that is what you're aiming for. So if you do water down and it's absolutely perfect, I can't exactly argue with that. But I do think part of college gymnastics right. is keeping that difficulty, being able to perform that at the highest level with the most perfect form. I think that's what keeps it fun. But yeah, like you said, I think, I, I mean, thinking about any team that I've seen compete beam, there's not only difficulty, but but technique. And that's that's hard to do. So right. um, I, that that's really impressive. And I, I think I think if we could keep this trend throughout the years, um, that would be really good to see. I agree. I've been really impressed with the composure and the performance aspect that a lot of teams have really been emphasizing on beam uh, this early. And then finally, floor. Uh, Obviously, we touched on UCLA and Oklahoma. And I mean, we we kind of see different styles for each team, which I always enjoy to kind of see the little nuances and differences and things like that. But um, maybe as far as passes go where yeah. where do you think uh, things are ranking right now as as far as difficulty and execution yeah well I gotta tell you this two pass routine I'm not having it, it it's to me it's frustrating. I agree it's frustrating to me I think you know a lot of these girls a lot of the girls that are doing two pass routines are way too good to be doing two pass routines I mean a lot of these are, are elite athletes or girls that are known for tumbling mm-hmm. known for their power there's no reason they should be doing two passes now, on the flip side of things, part of me is like, well, they are that good. So they can do two passes and it, and it, they get away with it because it's that good. And they're still reaching the requirements. So 
I still, at the end of the day, I, I'm not a fan of it. I mean, I'm going to be a fan of safe gymnastics and maybe their body's hurting and maybe that's easier on them. So, I mean, there's so many complexities and I'm sure there's a legitimate reason as to why they're doing two passes, but I think it's a bit unfair. I think it's unfair to the teams that are doing difficult gymnastics with three passes. Mm-hmm. Um, they have more endurance. They have more strength to get through, but they're also leaving more room for error with three passes. So yeah, you're probably going to score better with only having two passes to critique, with that being said, two pass routines are going to have to have some crazy combination for you to hit all the requirements. Now, on floor, you have to have an E an E skill of some sort. So a lot of gymnasts who maybe their bodies are hurt or maybe they don't can't perform a tumbling E pass, they put that in their dance. So they'll have a leap combination that's an E connection or some sort of connection to reach that requirement. So it is mm-hmm. – I do understand, you know, you at some point – You have to look at your body. You have to look at how you're feeling and go from there. But I I would prefer, I think, part of our sport, we've always seen it. Unless it's in the elite world, you're going to have four passes. Um, I would like to see three passes. I think think that's that's the best thing. Um, I would like to see more difficulty on floor. But again, I think, you know, these girls are 20 years old. Their bodies are dying. I get it. Been there, done that. My body Mm -hmm. said, peace out. My Achilles said, peace. We're done doing this my junior year. (laughs) I get it. So if if watering down is what you have to do, I I understand. But I mean, if if I'm saying what I want to see, I'd like to see more difficulty. All right. Well, I think it's time that we bring in Miss Val. I have so many questions for her, and I know that she is going to be a blast to catch up with. So let's bring her in now. Well, everyone, without further ado, McKenna and I are so excited to welcome former UCLA head coach, seven-time NCAA champion, 18-time Pac-12 champion, a Hall of Famer. Trust me, the resume goes on and on. The legendary Val Condos Field. Miss Val, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited for this, seriously. Well, there is so much to dive into, so we're just going to go right ahead with it. Obviously, like I just said, you accomplished so much during your time as a coach, but I know your goals as a head coach went far beyond the titles. So when you look back over your tenure, what are you most proud of? Uh, I think any coach, when you ask them, you know, when they retired, is the things that really stand out are those athletes that come up to you and remind you of something that you said to them that really made a difference and that changed the trajectory of the choices that they were making in their lives. And, um, you know, as a coach, you have so much uh, time with these student athletes. You're probably a, a bigger influence on them than their, their parents are oftentimes. Right. And it's a daunting responsibility. But when someone comes up to you and says, you know, Ms. Val, I remember, like, you know, anytime Caitlin Ohashi's in an interview and they say, what's the one thing she, you learn from Miss Val? She'll say that every single thing I do in life is a choice and it starts with my thoughts. And every thought I have oh, wow. is going to dictate the life that I live. So when, when an athlete, when anybody, when any one of us really assumes that responsibility of our thoughts and our actions, the cool part is you no longer are a victim of life or mm-hmm. of what happens to you. You take ownership. And it's like, that is just what makes my heart sing. I mean, we could we could finish it right there. That was wow. I, I mean, I am moved. I am moved. Oh my goodness, that's incredible. Um, okay, I have a question about choreography. So obviously, you have a 
incredible dance background. Obviously, you guys were super into incorporating a theme and like a character. And I love that because, I mean, we are artistic gymnastics, right? The goal is to perform. You want to put on a performance. Is there... Is there, when you're working with a certain athlete, is there like a specific character you want them to portray or how do you pick the character for them? So I started when I was 16 years old in 1976 playing floor music. Before 1980, floor exercise music could only be one instrument and it was compulsories and optional. So I played the compulsories and then I composed the optional music. Wow. And that was my summer job in in high school. Um, And then they started having me choreographed and I was I just was so it was so weird to me that there was no emotion like they were just Mm. for them to do a floor routine they were just mimicking the choreography that I told them to do but there was no motivation behind the movement and and so I was like okay so then I try to tell them you know in the world of dance the music is your motivation well that didn't really work so I had to come up with the concept of giving them characters and stories and that started way back, like in probably 1978. Um, I remember Joyce Selig was one of the first people, and she was a NCAA champion for Oregon State. She was one of the first people when she was 12 years old, I think. I choreographed her floor routine to Superman music and just gave her the superhero character to bring her movement out. And ever since then, obviously, it just makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a big part of it. Is is getting them to understand that we are, as you said, artistic gymnastics. And I talk to them a lot in dancer terms or performance terms, but um, when they are outside of those white lines, they're in the wings. But as soon as they step on into those white lines, they're on stage and there's 10 spotlights on you at all times. And it's showtime. I also, oh, here you got me going, you guys. Okay. Love it. (laughs) Keep it going. (laughs) I, I choreographed the eyes and it's so silly to me that, that gymnasts, you know, they perfect their body lines and their movement, but they don't even think about their face. Mm-hmm. Their face is part of the body. So I choreographed the face. I choreographed the mouth. I choreographed when Angie Sipra picked up the phone and she's, you know, she went, what? Yeah. Yep. You know, and even though she's not saying it out loud, it's all choreographed. The mouth, the right. eyes, the cheeks, wow. everything. It's such an attention to detail and, and the, the subtle nuances make such a difference. There, There is a clear difference in a floor routine that is choreographed with intentionality. It's not just moves and getting you from one pass to the next. The entire yeah. thing, start to finish, tells a story. Uh, let me ask you about different athletes though, because you do have some that are more comfortable in situations like that than others. And I I know sometimes it's the elite gymnasts that have told me they had to learn how to open up a bit more on floor and to be comfortable showcasing that emotion. And, and you've coached several former elites. What is that coaching approach like when, when you have someone on floor that you're trying to get to take it to that next level? You know, Madison Koshin is a great example of that because <clears throat> she doesn't she doesn't consider herself that great of a dancer, but she likes to dance. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the choreographer's responsibility to give her movement that she is comfortable doing. Right. And then and then I think of Kyla also. Um, Kyla's just now really finding her stride as a performer on floor and mm-hmm. 
with Kyla, you, I just remember I had to choreograph her face and her eyes. And she was so uncomfortable with stillness. Like <laughs> I would have her throw her arms down and look to the left and hold it for four counts. No, she'd only hold it for two. I'm like, Kyla, <laughs> you don't get to move until I say four. And it was so hard. That's a really hard thing. Stillness is a really hard thing for athletes, for gymnasts to do on yeah. floor, but it's really impactful. In fact, it's one of the things that I think people make fun of me about is like, <clears throat> just give her the head look with the eyes and hold it for four counts, you know, myself. Um, but I think it's super impactful. You've got to give them movement they feel comfortable with. And it doesn't yeah, matter right. how great I feel choreo is. It doesn't matter. If they're not feeling comfortable with it, they're not going to get out of their, their shell. So all of you young gymnasts out there that are listening to this, the worst thing you can do when putting a floor routine together is stand there and wait for the choreographer to give you movement. The <laughs> best thing for you to do is get out of yourself, get out of your shell, get out of your comfort zone and just dance. And when the music's on, you dance, you keep working on what the choreographer's giving you. Do not allow yourself to be shy because guess what? Nobody cares. People may be looking at you, but nobody's caring. Nobody cares. Get over right, yourself. Right. And just really enjoy it because the routines that turn out horribly are the ones where the athlete just stands there looking at me. But once you have a culture of performance in your gym, everybody will buy in. Yeah, I bet. So UCLA has had a unique opportunity to be very public. So after, you know, all the allegations and, and the negativity surrounding gymnastics, how were you able to kind of bridge that gap and, and use the platform to show, show gymnastics in a different light? You know, and I'm asked, the, I'm asked a question all the time when I'm I, I interviewed, especially by adults that have children. Why would I put my daughter in gymnastics now? And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, my gosh, the answer is so clear. This is the best time to put your daughter in gymnastics because everything's been exposed. You know, mm -hmm. um, you yeah. have an avenue to expose coaches that are not treating your child well. And without question, I believe this with every fiber of my being. And this is the whole reason why I chose to continue coaching back when I was first asked to be the head coach is that without question, sport is a masterclass in learning life lessons, really tough life lessons that you don't learn in a classroom. And I believe that gymnastics is one of, if not the greatest sport, to learn these really strong mm. lessons. And I really agreed. Like the more I talked about this over the years, the more I absolutely believe that I developed my job was to develop superheroes through the sport of wow. gymnastics that are gonna, that are going to go out and make the world a better place. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. when we were going through all that NASA stuff and the impact statements, and I was like, look at Every one of those young women, even if they cried up there, they never lost their composure. They were able, they had the courage and the strength to look their abuser in the eye and speak their truth. And that courage, that strength, that resiliency, they learned in gymnastics. As a woman, one of the greatest lessons that this sport teaches you is you have to figure out how to finish. Mm. There's nobody wow. to pass the ball to. Yeah. When you start getting shaky or nervous or want to throw up on beam, whatever it is, <laughs> you have to figure out how to compose yourself and finish. What an amazing life lesson that is. 
in wow. anything, and even parenting, you know, your children are driving you nuts. You, <laughs> you've learned through this amazing sport how to calm yourself down, take a deep breath, and figure out how to move forward and finish. Wow. I've never thought about that. That is so true. I think there's so much for these young women to take away from it. And, and you've been such an advocate for change in the culture of gymnastics. As we know, it, it unfortunately became very negative for young women. Obviously, all the allegations were at the forefront. But body shaming and, and just the scrutiny that these athletes were, were on. And, and finally, it's being discussed, right? It's being brought to the forefront. And, and there's strength in numbers. And we're seeing these athletes rally together and encourage one another in a really special way. And, and you've had a hand in that. And as, as far as we've come, uh, there's still further to go. So it, as you continue, you know, in your public speaking and everything that you're doing, what message do you want to continue to get out there to, to continue gymnastics in a positive direction? Uh, that's a great question. And it's a very timely question. I really, when I speak, when I do a lot of, at the end of my speaking engagements, I always address the parents and I'll ask them for feedback and they ask me for feedback and all this. And as parents, I really feel that the change in the culture has to start with the parents. We cannot mm -hmm. have, I mean, I spoke about this in my TED talk. We can't have a win at all cost culture because it's creating damaged human beings. Our children yeah. are being emotionally, not just physically. I mean, if you're in a sport, if you're in any sport, you're going to have wear and tear on your body. That's just part of being an athlete. But I'm talking right. about emotional damage and it's up to the parents. And sadly, um, you know, years ago, they coined the term, if it bleeds, it leads. And so sadly, in the news, they only want to portray the things that are horrific and mm -hmm. the things that are going to capture your attention because they're so nefarious and horrible. They don't showcase the thousands of coaches and gyms out there that are really doing great jobs, yeah. that are really caring. For these young women and so as a and and boys and girls and so as a parent you really need to a take some time out and really think about what is your goal is your only goal to get your child on an olympic team and will you do whatever it takes to get her there and are you prepared to assume the responsibility of the collateral damage that may come with that wow. or are you excited to help your child really develop into this champion in life through sport, which it's been proven over and over again, you can produce champions at the highest level without demeaning them, without being a bully. And so find those coaches because you know what? There are more coaches out there doing it right than there are doing it wrong. They're yeah. just not getting spotlighted. Oh my gosh. That, that could not be more true. The amount of times I've said, wow, in this podcast, it's... <laughs> insane. Miss Val, thank you so much for taking time out of your crazy busy schedule. You're literally headed to the airport in minutes from this podcast. <laughs> we just want to thank you for making the time. Thank you. And, and you know what? I am really excited for you guys to be doing this podcast. And anytime that I can come back, please invite me back. Let's keep talking and express the joy <laughs> and the love and the truth. 
the absolute truth about this sport. That means the world coming from you. Thank you so much. Yes. And you are welcome back anytime. Okay, everybody. Well, that wraps it up for us here on Chalk Talk. As always, thank you so much for listening. McKenna and I, as we said at the beginning, trying to make this thing bigger and better. And I think we took a step forward having this vow on because that was epic. So we hope everyone enjoyed it. Be sure and subscribe so you don't miss any of the high-flying action here on Chalk Talk. We will be back next week. So see you then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.